0: This is Halo Halo Hour, a Kiwi and Filipino podcast.
1: And just like the delicious Filipino dessert, we are a mixture of entertainment ingredients.
0: That's a review of movies, TV series, books, and books adapted to screens.
1: Welcome back to the Halo Halo Hour, and this is part three of our Miyazaki Month where we are covering the great works and filmography of Hayao Miyazaki. Um, I'm joined with Christina, and um, how excited are you for this episode?
0: Yay, we're finally on our last! Or should I be a bit sad because, you know, it's our last, and I enjoyed the Miyazaki movies, the Miyazaki binging for the whole month.
1: And we're going to cover his last two movies that we haven't talked about yet, Porco Rosso and The Wind Rises. And after discussing those two movies, we'll also have a general discussion about um, Hayao Miyazaki and the themes of his movies. Also, the irony of his works and his actual views of life, and maybe delve deeper into his uh, creative process as well. And finally, we'll give an overall ranking of his 10 movies that we've seen from best to worst. But Worst isn't really a bad thing because I think we both loved all of his movies, didn't we?
0: Yeah, like, it's going to be hard. But yeah, Worst is not because it's so bad. Only because of our personal attachment and preferences. That's it.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a tough choice of all the movies that we like and just ranking them on which ones we essentially loved the most.
0: So yeah, first up, we have Porco Rosso a 1992 film of course by Miyazaki so I'm just gonna introduce the plot or read the plot to you so it's set in the 1930s where sky pirates in biplanes terrorize wealthy cruise ships as they sail the Adriatic Sea so the only pilot brave enough to stop the scourge is the mysterious Porco Rosso a former World War One flying ace who was somehow turned into a pig during the war. And as he prepares to battle the pirate crew's American ace, Parker Rosso enlists the help of a spunky girl mechanic named Pio and his longtime friend, Madame Gina. So, yeah. um, Okay, so where do I start? There are a few things that I want to discuss about the movie, but perhaps I want to start on... The plot holes, like, there are many questions left and answered from the beginning until the end of the movie. So, spoiler, we're going to say the ending now. <laughs> but anyway, my first big question is, like, how he became a pig. It's not stated in the story. It's, like, just accepted that he is half human, half pig. And then they just said that um, in one of his last flights, he saw this magical Um, belt of pilots ascending into the sky and he was there he was alive everybody else is dead including his best pal the husband of his best friend gina and then suddenly we were brought back into the present without really knowing why he became a pig what he did was there magic in there and whatever but there's actually a meaning to that maybe i'll just discuss this discuss that later with you pat when you're done with your observations but another thing the biggest plot hole for me was the ending like when it ended um with porcoroso we didn't really know if the curse was lifted we didn't know what happened with fio we didn't know what happened with porcoroso and china because there was a sexual tension in there from the start to the beginning but they didn't know if they lived happily ever after and then another thing that i'm just gonna <laughs> go through everything and just gonna let it all out so another <laughs> thing that i felt was weird about this movie is that the absurdity of several things like first and foremost the wedding proposal of the captain the american captain i, I keep forgetting his name Donald Curtis, the the, the the captain that became like sort of the nemesis for Porco Rosa in here. Like, okay, he saw Fio in there, and like, suddenly, I want to marry you, let's take a bet. If I win, I'll marry you. Okay, <laughs> there's that. And I think there's one more that we both saw in here. I remember you pointing out how the movie is actually very very hard on women empowerment like we have pio a very young character who has done so much for the main character for corrosion and that she defied the norms the standards of women especially back in the day imagine like a 22 year old girl; it was her age i can't remember but she was so young and then she would be designing and building planes. And also, on the note of building planes, they enlisted the entire community of women to build the planes for, for Porco Rosso when he went to Italy. I think I think just like the movie, I'm getting plot holes. So for those who have not seen the movie, they would be like, what's happening here? <laughs> You're just jumping from one point to another. But Yeah, now you get the feel of the movie. That's it.
1: How about what? you, Pat? That sounds like... Did you enjoy this movie? I actually
0: did. It's it, okay. not,
1: I mean, I, <laughs> not like, like Nausicaä
0: that I skipped and then I just watched in the background or something. This one had all my attention. I enjoyed it, but I think I'll have better comments on the next one.
1: Okay. Um. Yeah, I found that I enjoyed this movie Um. most of the way through, and... But yeah, there were some things that were just a bit confusing for me, and I kind of tried to think, okay, well, this is probably an intentional sort of thing that Miyazaki did, like not explaining the curse explicitly, just sort of implied that he's now cursed as a pig, and it kind of Mm -hmm. just happens after he has that vision of all the planes ascending to what I assume is heaven throughout war. And... um. What you kind of realize is there's um, a, a few, a lot of pigs that turn up in Miyazaki's movies and they all relate to curses, if you think about it, um, in spirited away. The parents of Chihiro uh, turned into pigs when they were um, eating food at the, I was going to say the brothel, but not the brothel, the <laughs> it's uh, a bathhouse. The bathhouse. <laughs> uh, and in uh, Princess Mononoke, it, the um, pig that turned up in the village at the beginning was a cursed pig as well, covered and what look like maggots. So I feel like Miyazaki might have some sort of a um aversion to to pigs, maybe. Or he's always um assigning pigs to curses. And I don't know. There's just a lot of uh I don't say puns, but they always just call him a pig. You know, every time it's just like what can you do? I'm a pig or, oh you're such a pig Porco if he's just, you know, acting misogynistic yeah. or lazy and then if someone's gonna um accuse him of something he's like what are they gonna do i'm just a pig so it's sort of like a a running joke as well
0: but he also used that as like a card or something like remember when he was being i think recruited back into the military to fight the war oh he he, was like i'd rather be a pig than a fascist or something to that effect right
1: it's true his um hatred for fascism in italy and which is why he abandons the military and um yeah just is in the adriatic sea being a loner living by himself just flying for himself yeah
0: you know what there's like an interesting analysis of this that we saw on youtube the link that you shared like how um the curse of him being like pig or his state of pigginess (laughs) pigginess <laughs> anyway that curse is like symbolic to the guilt that he felt because he participated in the war and then he somehow managed to survive his friend didn't and it's like him shunning himself from the world the guilt that he survived for one and then the guilt for the second for being part of the war
1: it's like a survivor's guilt isn't it um, which is sort of represented yeah, in sense. the curse, yeah.
0: But maybe also not just the guilt of surviving the war, but also being an active participant in it, because he was a fighter and perhaps killed. I don't know, but I felt like it's also because he is so against war now that that he felt bad for participating in it if I make
1: any sense. Oh yeah, he's he's a real pacifist um, Porco Rosso. He could have been in the previous episode too with the um, pacifists um, that we mentioned yeah. earlier. He
0: yeah.
1: really didn't want to take yeah. part in war and um, he really just wanted to use his flying skills to stop pirates from hurting and stealing from people and yeah, just cut himself from the world. But then you kind of see that by cutting himself from the world, people like him, that abandoned Italy. It kind of allowed the rise of fascism, didn't it? Because that's when, this is just before World War II, and this is when Italy started to become a real fascist state, and people like Porco sort of just left, and yeah.
0: yeah. I think um, in the discussion of the political climate that we have in the country, um, I see that one of the things that um people or the terms that people use for the other people who are not actively you know voicing out their disdain or being against the government or something or maybe an idea in this case or to be more precise against war in this movie i think the term that they use is like a fence sitter in the in the it's the term that we have now in the modern world i wasn't sure no, yeah what term is that in in that time but anyway fence sitting means um not being active as a pro or against like you're just watching you're just in the fence and it feels like parker Rosso was portrayed somewhat like that like a bystander like you do whatever i'm out of it it's okay one you're not promoting it because you're not participating in it but also you're not working against it by just being silent yeah that's it (laughs) that's what that's another commentary about Porforoso so I feel conflicted like is he a hero because he hasn't he stopped engaging in war or is he an anti-hero because he also isn't doing anything to make the war stop as you said uh leaving italy um is that something that became you know a reason for the Italic to for fascist fa- <laughs> it's so hard for that thing to flourish while they well he and other people who also doesn't want to engage in war leave their country it's a very difficult topic to analyze i think
1: there's that famous quote that is the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing and that really yeah. might be the message that Miyazaki kind of is trying to lay in the background like it's not a yeah. really blatant uh, message that he's yeah. trying to show but it's definitely something that's that I think is trying to be mentioned here
0: yeah um, if you look at Porcaroso on the surface level, it's entertaining. It's like the character is very I don't know. He is punky and he throws like the one liners that could like make him look cool and a bear in, in a sense. But overall if you like dive deeper from the surface, it's like you're gonna it's good. it's a heavy movie. That's what I wanted to say, I think.
1: Yeah. It is. I, I think it's one of it's a weird movie because it's quite grounded for a Miyazaki movie. It's set in the real world. It's like very much, you know. There's a time except, and there's a place. Yeah. Except it's got for, <laughs> as a pig as as the main yeah, character. Yeah, that's the only, <laughs> This movie could have easily the not only
0: had magical. Yeah, yeah,
1: it could have easily had him not be a pig and could have been a biographical movie almost. Although it's it definitely... going to
0: be, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. going to be boring if he isn't a pig.
1: It's very ridiculous. Like, well, it's got like that, it's got a very Casablanca sort of feel. Like, I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a classic where it's I like... I wasn't uh...
0: born then. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> you weren't born <laughs> Oh, or... Cas- Casablanca. I, w- I
0: wasn't born with when Porco Rosso came out, so. (laughs) Well,
1: it's a 1942 war movie, Casablanca, and the main character and Porco Rosso, I think, are very similar. And even the the female love interest as well that, you know, is unattainable for the main character and Porco Rosso too. His love interest and just his mannerisms, he's sort of, you know, very solemn and keeps to himself. He's sort of like, you know, haunted by guilt. Uh, Just very much a product of that, time and era and I think yeah Miyazaki played an homage to that which was uh quite interesting I think the ending got really 1940s Hollywood too where they had that awesome dog fight between him and Curtis and then it just descended into a boxing match waist deep in water punching each other to the point where they're just it got a bit like boring after a while I'm just like oh my god how long is this fight gonna go they just keep punching each other and they're just their yeah, faces just get bruised and it got just ridiculous <laughs> to the point where it's like okay like what's gonna happen like just someone ended already <laughs> but <laughs> I liked how in the end it showed that Curtis wasn't the real villain but the real villain was <laughs> fascism and Italy because they all flee together and say you know let's divert the attention away from the people and um yeah they work together against uh fascism at the end I thought that was uh yeah that was interesting it's uh it's a fun movie I I actually had to go onto Wikipedia to even because you watch the end and it just ends abruptly and it just has Theo narrate how she na- has now become good friends with um Gina and um you yeah. don't even know that Porco Rosso has come back for them and I had to see yeah. in wiki see in Wikipedia that if you see the scene where Theo's plane is flying you can see a red plane right outside Gina's um restaurant. And then you yeah. see, um, outside a restaurant too, that it's empty. She's not waiting for him anymore. So it's kind of implied, the
0: garden, yeah.
1: She's not waiting in the garden anymore, yeah. So it's implied that there is a happy ending, and Porco does end up with Gina. But I really had to dig <laughs> to find that happy ending because I kind of just watching the movie in real time, I kind of felt shortchanged at the end.
0: Yeah, like if you're watching it in the cinema and then you paid for like how many bucks, and then okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah. But I think it is a very this is a very Miyazaki, you know, way of ending the movie. But before we go to the next movie, to The Wind Rises, can I just say that another thing that I like about the movie? Can we discuss it like further? I touched on it a bit earlier. Like how women actually save the movie. I'll give instances. Like, okay, how Fio save Porcaroso in the sense that she made the plane, that's one. How the women in the countryside, was it countryside, <laughs> riverside yeah. of Italy, saved poor Corozo because they all built his plane. Like, it could have easily been a bunch of men workers in the company of Pio's uncle. And then also yeah. how, yeah, and also how um, when... When they returned from Italy back to the Adriatic Sea and the enclave where Porco Rosa stays, they were sort of, not ambushed, but yeah, the pirates that wanted Porco Rosa's head were there waiting for him. And they just, they're bent on killing him right then and there. But you had Theo who talked them out of it, out of this plan, like saying very poetic things. And then she literally saved Porcaroso's head. And then in the end, when Curtis and, and poor girls were fighting, it was another woman, Gina, who sort of stopped the fight and sort of saved them. One, stopped the fight and saved them from killing each other. And then two, um, saved them from the Italian Air Forces by going there and then saying like, hey, pack it up, guys, you idiots. <laughs> Women, save the movie. So it felt like... Porco Rosso wasn't actually the main character but you know like the vessel for these women women <laughs> to thrive to shine in the movie that's how I felt
1: yeah Porco is the protagonist but definitely the heroes felt like the women in the movie they were the ones that took action and were more capable of anything well Porco was an awesome pilot but there was a lot of help that went into his um abilities and if you think about it, um, in the movie, it's the men that destroy the planes and the woman who built the planes, really.
0: Yeah, Interesting how it doesn't sound so deep, but when we discuss this now, like there's so many elements to it, which is also a very Miyazaki thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, it <laughs> like was. Well,
0: you see the drawings, and then
1: and Curtis proposing to Thea was like so ad- like abrupt, but then again, Gina did um foreshadow it by saying you fall in love every you know every every day and you know you'll propose to the any woman that you see and it's like okay well that was sort of foreshadowed and it showed the ridiculousness of that character (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) and very much (laughs) yeah viewed like the american bravado and the cockiness that was like the antithesis like they of owned the, world. <laughs> yeah, owned the world, yeah. Just own the world. He wanted his face every like he wanted to be seen, he wanted fame. He was cocky, he was like the antithesis of Porker, really, who was hiding his face and always in the shadows. Yeah,
0: and... so they're like really the opposites. No wonder they really became the name the enemies the in here, yeah. but yeah. Um, wow, that's a lot to discuss in this particularly short movie. This is like under. Just a few hours after the one hour mark no just a few minutes after an hour mark
1: yeah. those uh seaplane pilots they really um reminded me of uh dola's sons like they're just very goofy sort of villains like <laughs> so miyazaki and and
0: also the look
1: the look, yeah, the voices, the way that they were, like, villains, but then instantly switched to goofy um guys that sort of worked with the good guys in the end. They were very Miyazaki characters when I was watching that.
0: I think, I just think that by this time, this is, like, our ninth movie, <laughs> we pretty much had, you know, a grasp of, oh, okay, that's very Miyazaki, okay, Miyazaki, Miyazaki, Miyazaki!
1: Oh, uh, yeah, by now we know all the, know um, <laughs> yeah. all his tricks.
0: Yeah, all his tricks.
1: This is 95% on Rotten Tomatoes as well, so it's a very um, critically appreciated movie, and everything I've read about it, people say it's one of the most underrated films in his catalogue, and while I did enjoy this movie, I would, I might not, you know, be on that level.
0: Yeah, maybe because um, compared to others, it's not, you know, the shebangs and the... Shebangs?
1: Shebangs. <laughs> the big
0: booms and the bangs. It's not as grand, it's very subdued you now.
1: Yeah, it is very subdued, yeah.
0: Maybe that's why. Right. Okay. Shall we move on to the next one?
1: So the next movie uh, that we're going to talk about today in this episode, it's also about aviation and it's called The Wind Rises. So The Wind Rises is a look at the life of Jiro Horikoshi, a man who designed Japanese fighter planes during World War II. This film uh, was adapted from Miyazaki's manga of the same name which in itself combines elements from two unrelated sources which is the uh, life of Jiro Horikoshi and a semi-autobiographical novel The Wind Has Risen by Tatsu Hori and that is about a man whose wife has tuberculosis and that's what this movie is about too. Jiro's wife um, is suffering from tuberculosis and Um, Is dying, and it hits his struggle between focusing on his dream and his love for planes while also balancing his love for his wife in the last days that she has with him. It's quite a tragic movie, this one. And I don't know about what you thought, but I know that this movie is based on the life of someone else. But watching this, I felt like this was almost based on the life of Hayao Miyazaki as well. I just saw so many parallels. With the main character and um Miyazaki, um, did you feel the same way?
0: Yeah, but first I want to comment like it wasn't intentional. But did you just realize the Porcarozo was set a little after World War One, and then now we move on to World War Two?
1: Yeah, it's like we're going in <laughs> down a timeline. <laughs> yeah. At the
0: I was just like, okay, let's group them together. We agreed that group them together because of the planes and the wars and everything. But okay, they're like also complementary of in terms of timeline. But anyway, yeah, there's so many, so many parallels in here. For one, I think, at the top of my head, what I can recall is that Hayao Miyazaki's mom, if I'm not mistaken, also suffered from tuberculosis. So there's that. And In general, I just feel like, oh, this is speaking for all the movies. It's not, of course, it's not literal, but it felt like every movie of him has a piece of him, like a spirit of him, if I may say so. He puts something in there that's from his being. (laughs) That's how I felt like, okay, these these movies feel like getting to know the man
1: towards the end but yeah I completely agree with that I think this movie might have the biggest um part of him at times it felt like it was Miyazaki in the movie himself like walking through this because it's a man who can't like I know Miyazaki wears glasses but um you know the the character also has similar glasses to Miyazaki too and he is unable to pursue his dream of becoming a pilot so he you know chooses to design planes and Miyazaki as well, like he does a lot of animation, and he loves to design planes, and you know he's not a pilot, so I feel like there are parallels there as well. And there's such a contradiction that Miyazaki always admits to himself that he is so fascinated by war, but he hates war as well. And then you have this contradiction in Jiro, who who is a pacifist. You know he wants to design planes and make them lighter by taking away the guns. He just loves. Planes themselves, but he hates war. But essentially, this character has contributed to the deaths of hundreds and thousands of people, so it's a tough sort of like contradiction and yes, yeah, subject between, oh,
0: and also, yeah, and also, pirate in terms of parallelism. Um, Miyazaki's dad was actually a Japanese aeronautical engineer as well,
1: it's true, it's yeah.
0: like zero. Was it Jiro? Yeah, it is Jiro. So I think maybe his thoughts and feelings about growing up at that time was very much in here. So yeah, you're right. This felt like the most personal Miyazaki movie because of all the similarities. And is this, okay, if I recall it correctly, this is like a movie that came where he came out of supposedly retirement. So did, maybe yeah. more time to really flesh out the story, to really put everything in there. So that's why we have this very beautiful masterpiece.
1: Yeah, this movie was intended to be his last movie. I saw that he got quite emotional in the screening. He says he never cries in his movies, but he cried in this one, and he must have saw so much of himself yeah. in there. Um, Yeah, I gotta say, I actually really loved this movie, and I didn't expect to like it, this much just you know you look at his catalog and there's like so many crazy characters you see porco rosso on the cover you see the craziness of spirited away and then i saw wind rises i thought oh, this seems like a very grounded down-to-earth story that might be i don't know might be boring in comparison to those movies but i gotta say i was probably one of the movies i was most invested in um how did you feel
0: yeah um like porcaroso so I think, yeah, the word that you use is grounded because you know there's like I hated the the word shebang but I keep on using it. A few but times. Like there's oh. no. <laughs> I know, i I just yeah, think like... of
1: uh, Ricky Martin. Is it Ricky shebang, Martin?
0: Shebang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this is like. Um very very simple. Like you have a very linear story like from the beginning to the end. And then you have very human characters. No pigs. <laughs> <laughs> there are no um sorcerers or anything like that. There's no magic or power. But uh, while watching the movie it reminded me of the book that I read a few years ago, many, many years ago. You know, like like Water for Chocolate is the title. And I was so intrigued with the style because I haven't re- read anything like that. Like in a scene for instance, um, the main character was sad while cooking, so she was crying while she was in the kitchen and then the food that she served made everyone in their house. Like perhaps the whole town was there because it's like a feast or something. And everyone was crying when they tasted her cooking. So I was like, what the fudge? <laughs> Am I reading it right? Did I miss something? And um, later on, I had to Google and then I read that this style was actually called magic realism. So this is like a style where there's a realistic view in the case. We're going back now to The Wind Rises. In the case of the realistic life of Jiro and Naoko, that's the realistic view. But then the only magical element in this movie was Jiro's very vivid dreams where he actually met his hero, Giovanni Caproni, who um Giro would really read from aeronautics magazines even when he was younger. So yeah, that's the only magical factor from the film. But the, in, the rest of it, sans the very realistic dreams or real life. It's very... How do I compare it? It's like eating an ice cream and then you find a chunk of nuts in there like <laughs> i, don't know. I okay. wish i could use a better um <laughs> analogy here
1: can i say what i really wish <laughs> happened in the movie though i know this might have Ooh, okay this might have gone more against the realism of the movie because in the dreams they were very vivid but they're still dreams so anything can happen but I really did want yeah. Giro to come across Giovanni Caproni in real life. And then Giovanni would recognize him and be like, oh, you're the boy in my dreams. Ah, and it's like, oh, that would have been cool. If there's like an, a shared Inception dream world. I know that probably would have <laughs> not been, well, I don't know. I, I would have loved it in this movie if that happens, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be bonkers. But yeah.
1: But yeah, sorry. That's what I wanted to see. <laughs> I thought the m- movie was beautiful, like the aviation scenes, the flight scenes, the um, the shots. A lot of the film is just beautiful, but there was one part that really kind of struck a chord with me, um, and that was the earthquake scenes. I've never seen an earthquake. Oh my gosh! In yeah. a movie feel so just haunting, um, haunting, yeah, haunting, and just so and it felt so real and. I've lived through a major earthquake myself um, in Christchurch back in um, Mm -hmm. 2011 and the tragedy that happened right after the earthquake brought back memories of that time as well where everybody sort of had to band together and try to, you know, work your way through um, after a disaster and yeah, I I thought the um, the sound that they used to um, associate it with the earthquake was so well done like, it was so haunting every time you heard that noise, it's like, oh my god, there's another aftershock, and that brought me back to all the aftershocks that happened after the earthquake that I experienced, and yeah, I thought they did that really well, and then Jiro just um, meeting the love of his life by helping her, you know, it was nice to see the community built after that disastrous scene, and yeah, that developed into what I thought was one of the better love stories in a Miyazaki movie too, that I didn't really care about, like, a lot of the love stories in the previous movies, but once him and Naoko separated, I was waiting for the whole movie for them to reunite, you know? I just was like, okay, I know he's studying to become an engineer and he's developing planes, but when is he going to finally meet her again? And when he sees her, when they come across each other and she's painting and he's walking past her and it's like, oh no, he didn't see her, like, come on, like, something's got to happen. And then the wind blew her umbrella to him and he helped give it to her. And even then he didn't even see her until um the hotel. So it just kind of like kept pulling you along, waiting for them to finally get together and develop a love story. But you know, what's crazy about this movie, it took them so long to finally get together and you wanted it to happen. And then they hang out for like a day. And then after that day, he's like, I love you. I want to marry you. And he asks her father for her hand in marriage. And his German friend says, I can see it, I can see the love between them. And I'm thinking, okay, like I really wanted this love story to happen, but they've only, like they've literally only known each other for like a couple days and now uh, like it felt like it went so fast after going so slow. I don't know if you felt that way, but there was a very serious scene when he proposed to her for marriage and asked for her hand in marriage that I just started laughing, <laughs> because it was, like, so, like, spontaneous and quick, but yeah. Oh
0: <laughs> I remember something, when we were watching a movie, and everyone was, like, sad, and you just started laughing.
1: But this is the same for this movie, <laughs> oh too, like, gosh. it was supposed to be such a sweet, romantic scene when he proposes, but it was, like, out of the blue, it was, like, what, already? And I just started laughing, because it was, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what, I w- well, I was listening to you, like, saying how invested you were in the love story and then going on through all that and I was like oh Patrick has a heart he has a soft spot for love stories and then you came to that point where you laugh while they were getting engaged like okay this is the real Patrick this is showing
1: this movie is a roller coaster because it's like I really wanted them to get together like pulling on my heartstrings and then I started laughing and then oh my god the tragic you know, the tragedy that happens to Naoko because of her tuberculosis and, you know, she's dying and he, like right after they, well, they get married as she's dying and he's so invested in his work, but that's taking him away from the precious time that he has with her. And I don't know, there was a scene where he was still looking at drawing his plans and she wanted to hold his hand and he was holding her hand while he was still working. And then he asks if he can smoke and she says you can smoke and he's like oh that's bad for you but he smokes anyway and it's like oh it's like this man his love for planes kind of rivals his love for his wife
0: yeah and i think that makes this movie the most human in the movies that we've seen from from miyazaki so far like the conflict of a man and his dreams and his Sorrow for slowly losing the woman that he loves, and I think that's very humane, not humane, but very human. Rather sorry, I think that's very very human, human. and it has the most heart so far for me. And yeah, I shed a two, a two, I I shed a tear from watching this movie and yeah just to comment on what you said how fast they just developed well it can happen you know in real life I guess
1: so you didn't feel like that was too fast you felt like that progressed
0: oh, it progressed well for me and I think um because their meeting was like so magical like how the girl just recited that French quote, like the wind is rising. It's time Uh. to wait. I, I searched it up. The wind is rising. We must try to live and how they connected in that. And then they shared that fateful day, that very tragic day. And then I guess there was like, you know, something in their hearts planted in there, but it didn't grow until they see each other again. And immediately it blossomed. So, it was kind of yeah it could happen and before i forget i just want to really comment on how they did the earthquake thing like i didn't even know at first that it was earthquake like it moved in waves but in retrospect that's how earthquake moves right but of course you don't see it like in on the surface when you experience it but it's very haunting in that sense like I actually thought there was a monster in there. Like I was thinking, okay, this is like another Miyazaki movie where elements of the netherworlds and whatnot would just appear out of nowhere. So, very beautiful how they did there. The, the tragedy is not beautiful, but how they put the tragedy in the timeline was there. And I guess it also has to do with the fact that uh, this was released in 2013, and in 2011, Japan, I think almost the same year as yours japan tokyo had a really really bad earthquake that really devastated the country so yeah i think that was what inspired or that was why they took there. but yeah overall i'm just gonna say it's possible i guess to (laughs) to fall in love with someone within a day especially when you have that really strong bond from beforehand
1: yeah gotta say that um like i I've never seen an earthquake look like that or well, it's hard to see that perspective, but yeah. the wave feeling it's like that's yeah what I experienced um when mm-hmm. the, like a an earthquake of that magnitude, so this was a real earthquake, the nineteen twenty three great kanto earthquake uh which was mm-hmm. really significant there was um a lot of deaths and damage associated with that, and yeah it's it was so visceral. That was the word that I was really trying to get at. Before the um, oh,
0: visceral, the, the
1: visceral feeling with the sound, along with like the animation. I just don't think mm-hmm. I've seen a movie capture an earthquake that well before. Um, Very, like this, yeah. It mm, was done really well. Yeah.
0: Did you did you happen by any chance met anyone during the earthquake in Christchurch?
1: <laughs> no, not, not, not... there. Like... <laughs> my, my experience of the earthquake was probably um, the opposite of Jero's and not as heroic in that when the first big earthquake hit, I was um, actually in a basement underneath the library in my uh, university. And the moment I could feel the shaking, I just pushed everyone out of the way and tried to get the hell out of that building by myself. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like very selfish. And um, (laughs) yes, I (laughs) sad to say my life isn't as noble as uh, (laughs) Jill's.
0: So you didn't save any pretty girl from the library? No.
1: Fortunately, where I was, there was no real deaths or damage. Otherwise, I'd feel really guilty about what I did. But yeah. I literally, once the big shakes happened, I just ran out of there. Every man for himself sort of mentality happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it only happens in the movies, the very heroic ones. Forgive yourself, you're friendly, <laughs> okay?
1: Oh, what did you think about the voice actors for this movie? I thought, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who played um Jiro, and he was very mild-mannered and quiet. Like, it wasn't... It was a very reserved um sort of voice acting performance, There, eh?
0: You know what? I really don't get how... I'm not sure if the version that I'm seeing actually used the voice of the American actors because way too far from the original actors, you know? So hmm. I'm a bit... If he in that i'm not sure maybe i should look it up but yeah <laughs> I,
1: I love the voice actor for the um german engineer hans uh Kestor, who's a real figure as Who well was that? the voice actor for that is werner herzog mm-hmm. and he's a um famous german director with a very um very, very memorable voice. So the moment I heard his voice, I was so excited because I was like, "Yes!" Like you, you got my favorite um, oh. German voice actor, <laughs> and he was a real no. figure in history as well. That was a man that was um that showed dissent and um against Nazi Germany and died in home detention. And or that's something that almost happened to general's character as well, as the secret police were going for him. But the one thing about this movie that's um really criticized because I see that it got. 88% in Rotten what? Tomatoes. And... F- what? Like what that- are
0: they thinking?
1: Exactly. Like, this movie deserves more than that. Like, watching this, I was expecting it to be in the 90s, because I really loved this movie. But then I saw 88%, and I thought, well, for any normal movie, that's great. But for a Miyazaki movie, come on, that's so low, you know? And um, there was a lot of criticism taken towards, apparently from the left and the right side of politics, in that... Um, The right didn't like um, Miyazaki's um, anti-war sentiment in that he was um, against the militarization of Japan around the release of this movie. But then also the left attacked him because they say that Miyazaki focused too much on the character's um, love for aviation and completely ignored the atrocities that he actually contributed to. Like they, um, they said that Miyazaki sort of understated the ramifications of his creation and yeah that was a big criticism of um of this movie apparently
0: okay that's whoa
1: (laughs) this movie did try to um acknowledge it like there were scenes at the very end where you see all the destroyed planes that um Jiro designed and it's like a big graveyard of all these uh planes but yeah it it felt like nothing weighed too heavy on his conscience like he was still you know, his um, dead wife in his dream told him to keep living, and he didn't seem too tortured about what he did. That might have been. <laughs> I don't know. I I was hoping to see more guilt from this man. Like Porco Rosso showed more guilt than Jiro, and oh, I think I think Jiro yeah. did a lot worse. <laughs> if you had to really okay. nail it down, you know.
0: <laughs> but you know, it's it's hard. I mean, what would you do if you were Jiro?
1: I'd probably, well, I don't know, probably be a depressed or a lot more depression, more like your conscience would be really affected. But I don't know. What was shown in the movie, his conscience wasn't devastated by what he did. And but as, he, as was, he was doing it, there was no second guessing, you know.
0: It was a fighter plane. It's not a bomber's plane, right? still yeah. anyway still, yeah but yeah yep. it,
1: was a, it was a fighter plane yeah but still yeah. it was in the movie him and his friends said oh we're not arms merchants we're just you know plane designers and it's like well it's planes with guns on them like you're sort of like <laughs> you know you're using extra <laughs> you're steps.
0: contributing to it <laughs> you know you're saying oh we're not like making war. a gun
1: we're just making a plane that happens to have a gun on there and it's like well you're sort of like taking extra steps to not take any responsibility for this you
0: know remember that scene when he was like he wanted the plane to be as light as possible and he was like maybe we just leave out the guns and then everyone just laughed like ha 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 well the sole purpose of you designing this plane is for the guns
1: exactly that
0: just uh, i was just reminded yeah was just reminded right now but i don't know it's just like It was his dream to build planes, and somewhere along the way, he got into a position where he sort of still had that dream, but other people took advantage of that dream, honestly. And I think that's also a reflection in life. Like, we have the ideas that we want to do, like, how positive we are. Like, for example, when you go out of college and you have all the stuff that you learn, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be the best for you, a scientist, and for me, a journalist. And then somewhere along the way, it could be like, you know, what we wanted to do really that we thought could contribute to the betterment of the society and humanity is not as easy as it seems. And I think it in a way, there's also that message. That's the message, I what I got from... Jiro said, so, you know, life happens. But it's that's not an excuse to be <laughs> to be a participant in such a wild and such a, yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. find the words.
1: I feel like this movie kind of is a conflict between my heart and my brain. Like my heart really loved the romance and the dreams of aviation and flight that Jiro had. But then my brain would also reminds me that, well, this man created a um, a device for war, and, you know, I guess that didn't really affect me that much, this is only just reading the criticism, and I kind of agree, like, when I read the criticism, I'm like, okay, those are fair points, but me personally, I still loved this movie, like, those criticisms, while I do kind of see their points, didn't take away from my enjoyment, really.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair, I mean, people will have things to pick on in movies it just depends on what you are watching it for i guess <laughs> i don't know it's not to diminish the criticisms that they have they're valid it's just that i think for the enjoyment which i am for i'm good at
1: yeah. this <laughs> if someone had like a, a relative or someone they knew that was directly killed because of a a zero fighter plane and you know mm-hmm. you can really understand how then of course this yeah. movie might enrage you actually because they're glorifying, you know, this man who made that. Is and... it
0: though no. is it though glorifying? I don't know, because yeah, as you said, maybe it's true that he didn't look so Yeah Re- Regretful. Like, regretful, yeah, that's let's, let's settle on that. But anyway, <laughs> um, as you said, it didn't feel like It didn't feel like he was so regretful with the thing. Remorseful. (laughs) Again. So as you said, it didn't look like he was that remorseful in the end. But I guess um, putting that, you know, the tragedy in his personal life kind of balanced that out. Like, he didn't have it any easy right after. Like, yeah, he achieved his dream of building the plane, but in the end, he lost his wife, and then all the planes really got destroyed. I think it's a way for Hayao Miyazaki to show that he's not glorifying. I think, um, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> just a casual watcher, but I think it's kind of too heavy to say that he is glorifying the life of them. Maybe, I don't know, I'm so conflicted. It's just that, yeah... <laughs> Because if we take out the things that this man did in real life and how he contributed to the to the death of many people, yeah, maybe we, we shouldn't watch this in that sense. But I don't know. I'm so conflicted right now. I'm like loading, loading, loading. <laughs> I don't know what to say without sounding, you know, insensitive.
1: But all in all, did you really enjoy this movie? Like just the watch of it anyway?
0: i did it's like one of my top miyazaki movies i love like how we have finally a proper love story although you you were a bit skeptical with how jiro proposed like after a day of bonding <laughs> but besides that it's a proper love story and i really liked it it's tragic but i see why it had to be like if there's a happy ending before between Jiro and Na. Na. And the wife. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> put it that way. And I think if there was a happy ending between Jiro and the wife, it would feel like, yeah, this man had everything going for him, even though he did something really bad. And I think that's Miyazaki being Miyazaki. That's a way for him to say that this isn't, you know, this isn't glorifying what he did. I I, I don't know. It's, it's not that I know Miyazaki 100%, but it but after seeing his 10 movies it felt like that's his way you know and I'll discuss this later when we do when we go to Miyazaki but I I kind of now I'm gonna make notes so I don't forget but it felt like something very Miyazaki as well
1: yeah I I really liked this movie um I really had me along the entire way through and if this was his last movie I thought it would have been a perfect send-off yeah. for miyazaki it was like a very a, like an almost autobiographical movie of you know the real jiro horikoshi and miyazaki himself with his love of aviation and planes and his ideas of pacifism and i feel like his personality would probably be similar to the main characters it was um yeah it was a beautiful movie and it would have been a beautiful last movie but you know what, he's still got another one to come out and I'm excited for that one too.
0: And I think that one's going to be as heartfelt and as dramatic as this one, if not more. And this can be also very personal. So now that we've seen 10 of his movies, of his many, many movies, I feel like we have sort of, you know, as in our discussion earlier, we have sort of, no, kind of know, his, what his sounds are, how he implies a message in his movies, and for this portion of the episode, we'll do just that. Right, Patrick?
1: Yeah. We're going to talk about Miyazaki's um, techniques with storyboarding and his own personality and history.
0: Okay. Take it away, Pat.
1: Well, the one thing I thought was quite interesting with Miyazaki is that he draws his scripts first and then doesn't really plan much before the production starts and the films kind of just write themselves as he's drawing. And, um, it's very unique sort of, um, way to write and plan a movie. like, I don't think I've seen anyone else do that before. And I, I don't know, I feel like maybe that's why these movies feel so unique and so creative is because his creative process, It's just so different and yeah, in and of itself, I thought it was very interesting. What did you think?
0: I didn't know that, but yeah, that would be, (laughs) for one, I think that would be very chaotic. As someone who does something artistic kind of also, like I want to, I have a structure of how things will go in my stories, like the beginning, the lead, and then the middle and how it ends, so just imagining Miyazaki doing not that, but the opposite, like just drawing without you know a structure of how his story went. I can feel like if it's not Miyazaki it can be chaotic in a sense like okay, where do you want to take this your story from here on? but because he's Miyazaki, he made it work.
1: Yeah, he did. I thought it was a really um yeah unique way of doing it. Miyazaki too, he's um, always said that he's kind of plagued with feelings of inadequacy and there's like a darkness inside of him and he calls himself a um, bundle of contradictions and uh, I thought that was always interesting. There's some quotes that he's uh, said which are really um, yeah, re- really something I wasn't expecting from someone like him who has created such positive and kid-friendly light-hearted movies but um, apparently he said that he's a person whose negative aspects, brutality, resentment, hatred, are much stronger than other people's. And when I suppress these negative aspects and live my life normally, I am thought of as a good person. That is not my real character. I don't know what kind of person I really am. There seems to be another Hayao Miyazaki unfamiliar to me. I try not to care about this discrepancy anymore. (laughs) There's
0: like a word for that, but it's not the personality per se but have you heard of the term body dysmorphia oh uh,
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> but it's not the body for me is it's that? like personality or dysmorphia per- <laughs> yeah is <laughs> yeah. this personality dysmorphia or maybe it's him being
1: i think it's called like um him. imposter, imposter syndrome.
0: syndrome yeah yeah, yeah maybe he- this but no, it's different because he doesn't think of him of himself any less than what he is.
1: He thinks of himself as maybe more morally... Just a different person. Yeah, or more morally corrupted than he really is. I don't know. He, like, he maybe has these bad thoughts and feels guilty about having these thoughts. Oh, yeah. Never, maybe, yeah.
0: Maybe that can also be... What's the word again that we use?
1: Remorseful?
0: <laughs> no! I should have, like, a dictionary. So, for our listeners, I'm so sorry. English is not my first language, so... <laughs> I'm lagging, okay? <laughs> okay, she, I just pulled that card she, out. She bangs. <laughs> she bangs? She bangs, she bangs. <laughs> but yeah, wait, let's go get serious. Miyazaki is serious. Why are we laughing? <laughs> there's, an, there's another um,
1: quote from him too that are uh, quite interesting. Go ahead. He I want to hear it. Go. He says, I'm fascinated by wars and I read a lot about them. And people therefore ask me, Miyazaki-san, do you like war? And I respond by asking, if they think aids is like aids
0: yeah i came across that code too yeah. and i think you're right miyazaki i like how he thinks really he's a,
1: he's a bundle of contradictions and he's a very interesting person i think that's why his art is so interesting too and yeah he always says that he wants he's a strong desire to be liberated from being tied down to reality which is probably why he's always trying to fly away, you know, and express that in his movies.
0: Yeah. And and there're like a bunch of words that the internet people have been trying, not only the internet people, but critics and other viewers have been using to describe him and one that really stood out for me was like that he's misanthropic and I had to google what it means because I'm like, okay, what is that word? <laughs> But I feel like certain characters of him sort of reflect that, like how they dislike humankind and in a way like how perhaps maybe because they are destroying the very nature that they are living on. Like remember the dad of Ponyo, how he was so explicit, like ill humans, but not the exact word. But yeah, sort of like that. And also how um, San from Princess Mononoke was also like that. Like I'd rather be with you with the wolves than with humans and yeah very interesting but i wouldn't call okay i don't know him personally. maybe he is <laughs> but he has other characters make up for it it's always nice that there's like a balance like you have this character who dislikes humankind and then on the other side someone who is ready to fight for humans like in the case of princess mononoke ashitaba was like no don't kill each other And then you have San, who's like humans, the lesser beings, sort of.
1: (laughs) That's and that's probably mirroring his own thoughts too, like his struggle with his love for people and his love for nature. You know.
0: Yeah, so fascinating. It's like I feel like if we sit down with Miyazaki for like a day, we would view the world differently after that. Like we would have existential crisis in a way. He,
1: his, um, his resentment and guilt and everything would just amplify anything I have in my mind, I think. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, like it's another level.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe after meeting him, you would have to meet a therapist because you just have to unpack everything.
1: <laughs> I think so.
0: <laughs> and then before we move into the final part of our discussion, Pat, I think I just want to say this last time about my thoughts on Miyazaki is that I also like how his characters are not inherently bad or inherently good. I think it leaves the discernment to the audience like, are you going to root for him or are you going to not root for him? I think just basing on the very last movie that we just discussed, um, The Wind Rises, it's very conflicting to place Jiro as the really good person for what he is. Like, he helped someone during the earthquake he's always very nice and sweet man remember how he would give the slices of the chiffon cake to the children who are waiting outside the store like those things and like how he's always mild demeanor very cool but also you cannot take away how his contribution or how his work as an aeronautics engineer that did the fighter planes contributed to the destruction of Japan and any other countries that they were fighting against. So what are your thoughts, Pat?
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of difficult because he was so personally likable, so kind, as you said, like he wanted to offer the cakes to the children and the way he helped um, Naoko during that tragedy and he's got such a kind heart and yet he was also working for a weapons manufacturer or working for creating, you know, fighter planes. But yeah, it's like not straightforward. It's, I guess you can't judge a man Mm. for what he's created because you don't really know what was in his heart. And I guess you can say maybe his dreams sort of like took him to where he ended up. And yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's a very Miyazaki of the several characters that we've seen. Um, another one quickly was Porcaroso. Was he good because he didn't as I said he didn't participate anymore in the war or was he bad because he wasn't against it, you know? Like he didn't protest or made it known for government and I don't know. Things like that. It's just that perhaps that's the beauty of it. Like you judge for yourself who's good or who's bad. Maybe Miyazaki was like, I'm not gonna tell you this isn't black or white this is life. And I guess that's it. Well, well, that's, what, very philosophical.
1: <laughs> well that's why we love these uh, Miyazaki characters, because they're not black and white. They're not one dimensional. They have so many facets. Yeah. You know, they're, they are walking contradictions, or they're so like, you know, they're like onions, They just so many layers underneath. And that's why we love Ooh,
0: them. Ooh, the analogy there. I love it. <laughs>
1: That <laughs> like that's, why, that's why we love it because yeah the more you think about it like the more you sort of realize oh yeah there were there was something else to that character just listening to you talk about porco rosso and jira today made me realize things i didn't really pick up and it's such you know so interesting to just like talk about this you know
0: yeah and that's what i like about miyazaki's works so i guess this isn't the last time we'll review more of miyazaki's
1: Well, if his his last movie comes out, we can maybe do that as a final review, I hope, in in the near future.
0: For sure. But for now, we'll we'll leave that discussion. We'll go now to the last part of the episode where we will rank all the 10 movies. I know it's impossible, but we're going to do it. We're going to rank the 10 movies that we have been reviewing for the whole month and we have, been you know, binge bench watching on. And yeah, do you already have yours?
1: I already do have mine. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first?
0: Can you go first because I'm still finalizing.
1: So my uh, rankings for uh, the Miyazaki movies. I um will say though as a footnote that we have omitted one movie that we haven't seen of his and that's his very first mm. movie the castle of Cagliostro. I think that's how you say it. That movie was not available on the streaming services that we have. I know it's his early work, so maybe we will come back to it in the future if we really enjoyed it, but it wasn't really a Ghibli movie and it felt sort of out of place with the others anyway. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, my rankings for Miyazaki's uh, 10 movies that we've reviewed. Should I start from number 10, I think, and then I'll move up to number one build up the suspense so number 10 for me is castle in the sky that's my number 10 number nine Porco rosso (laughs) (laughs) so okay number eight kiki's delivery service no yeah i'm sorry (laughs) uh number seven my neighbor totoro
0: Just, you know... (laughs) I just...
1: (laughs) Number six, Ponyo. Mm -hmm. Number five, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. One of my Mm -hmm. original favorites of Miyazaki's. Number four, Spirited Away. Number three, The Wind Rises. So that movie was a lot higher than I was expecting. I didn't think The Wind Rises would be number three for me, but I really enjoyed that movie. Number two... Princess Mononoke, that was just, I I love Princess Mononoke, it's just a spectacle to behold, it's probably got one of the most epic endings in a Miyazaki film, and my number one movie is Howl's Moving Mm -hmm. Castle. Mm
0: -hmm. I didn't see that coming.
1: You didn't? I thought I um I know. I, I sang the praises for Howl's Moving Castle. How much I just I, I, I connected to Sophie and I loved the relationship with the family dynamics and the growth that Sophie showed after turning into an old lady. I just loved the themes and I really yeah got so emotionally invested in those characters more than any other, really.
0: Yeah, but I thought you would like go for a Spirited Away or something else.
1: Oh really?
0: <laughs> but yeah, surprising, surprising. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: Here's mine. So, <laughs> after recovering from yours, I was like <laughs> stabbed in the chest because I think it's fascinating how we're so opposite oh, okay. with our choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so for my number 10 can you guess nausica oh was <laughs> I that obvious yeah it's nausica of the valley of the wind and then number nine i have we have the same Porco also sorry Porco. <laughs> at number eight i have sorry castle in the sky And then at number 7, I have My Neighbor Totoro. At number 6, I'm just giving them away no reasons at all. (laughs) At number 6, we have Bonio. But as from the first episode, I think it's interchangeable. I like them almost the same. And then at number 5, I have spirited away. I know in other people's ranking this is this fares higher. But yeah. At number four, now this is your influence. It could have gone lower, but I really like how you explained everything and it made me see the movie in a different view. At number four is House Moving Castle. <laughs> At number three is the very first Miyazaki movie that I've seen. Kiki's delivery service and it still has my heart. The simplicity, the awe and wonder. Seeing the world in the eyes of a child. That thing. Well, not a child, teenager. But yeah. Then at number two, I think we have the same as well. Is it? I'm not sure. Can't remember. And anyway, number two, I have wind rises. Could have been my number one, you know, but number one. Princess Mononoko is just over the top for me. Like the story, the conflict, the animation, it's every, every, everything. So there's my (laughs) (laughs) ranking. Interesting how we have such different choices. But I was intrigued how you went for House Moving Castle.
1: Yeah, it, that is quite interesting, and I think Howl's Moving Castle was probably just a personal favorite of mine, just, yeah. I don't know how, why that movie just had my attention the whole way through and... Yeah, you were yeah, captured
0: I, I, by Sophie, I guess.
1: I think, yeah, captured by, well, I really love the steampunk yeah. design to the castle itself, that no, it was, it was a great movie. So anyway, I really enjoyed this month of Miyazaki, um, really really i'm um, happy that we did this i'm um, proud of us that we got through all 10 of his movies and discussed them in depth and yeah grew to love them even more
0: yeah it's my first time to re-watch really this much anime um this is honestly a genre that i haven't really enjoyed before now so thank you
1: oh, thank you and yeah i hope that we maybe are able to review another miyazaki movie in the near future and discuss that as yeah. well
0: and I hope the people, the more than five now, the people <laughs> listening to us also enjoyed joining the journey into the magical world of Hayao Miyazaki. I think know him now. He's like my Lolo now. <laughs> my grandfather.
1: He does feel like my Lolo now too. He does, <laughs> yeah. He's got He's yeah. got uh he's got B L E.
0: What's B-L-E?
1: Big Lolo energy.
0: Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and with that I think that's a perfect ending to this epic month-long celebration Salamat Pat
1: Salamat Paalam and thank you everyone yeah. for listening
0: Do you agree with our review? Let us know on Instagram and Twitter at Halo Halo Hour.